What does it take to create, implement, maintain, and refine public policy for a city the size of Chattanooga and its people? Joda Tangnapnua can tell you. He is chief policy officer for the city of Chattanooga, now six months into the job with Mayor Tim Kelly's administration. Before his current role, he served at the Community Foundation of Greater Chattanooga as its director of strategic initiatives and communications. Public policy involves data and ideas, but at any level of government, the impact begins and ends with people, their lives, and their stories. When I spoke with Joda last week, we started with his story. Joda, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell us more about your connection to Chattanooga. What brought you here? Yeah, so I actually uh, grew up here in, in the Chattanooga area. My parents arrived when I was three years old, and uh, my dad immigrated from Thailand when he was young, and my parents or my mother's family immigrated from Italy. And so I like to say I have very good Thanksgiving dinners. The food is fantastic, and the kitchen was always the center of my household. But they moved out to Chattanooga to be closer to family um, when I was very young. And actually, we moved to Eastridge, Tennessee. And so I I grew up in a, a working class family. My dad worked two jobs and I always remember him, you know, leaving the house at seven in the morning and coming back at nine o'clock at night. And he worked uh, at UPS and for Mike Collins and Associates and doing tough, hard work. And they worked really hard to make sure they could get ahead. And, and that's the the promise of uh, America was very real to them. This idea that, you know, if you worked hard enough, you could climb up to the next uh, rung of the ladder uh, for opportunity. And fortunately for them, they were they were able to make it. And they've I have two younger sisters and we're doing great. And, you know, one of the things that struck me, though, as I got older was that for as hard as my parents worked and, you know, we were all right and, and making it and it wasn't always easy, but, you know, we managed to do just fine. I, I saw that there were a lot of neighbors of mine or, or friends of my parents that worked just as hard, uh, but they got left behind um, by an economy that wasn't really working for them. And so I, I got really passionate about what does it take to make opportunity available to more people in, in my community. And so that's that's really how I, I started getting involved and why I got involved in, in, in Chattanooga and, and the civic community here in, in the city. And what attracted you to policy specifically? Yeah, it was kind of a roundabout way. So when I was actually in high school, I was involved in a, a startup called Breaking News, and it was on Twitter. And we had this novel idea, or at least it was novel in 2010, to start a doing breaking news on Twitter. And then um, quickly thereafter, we realized that was something that was people were interested in. This was like in the early days of Twitter. And we grew to over a million followers, and uh, me and a couple of friends uh managed to attract the attention of some major news organizations and um, eventually MSNBC acquired the company. And, you know, from there, I, I got really excited about how public decisions were made. And I got to cover in that time some major decisions that were happening in Washington. We were obviously going through an economic recovery after the recession at the time. And so for me, policy was always at the root of how we created opportunity in America and why why the rules of the road were the rules. And the, it was also this process of how do we decide collectively what our community ought to look like and what were the values that underpinned them. I also began organizing when I was in college and, and then 
continued that work afterwards. Um, I remember knocking on doors out on the west side, fighting for affordable housing and and really making sure that that community was included in the prosperity that Chattanooga was starting to experience or had been experiencing for many years. And, and so I saw, I had the opportunity, thanks to a lot of really thoughtful community leaders to really get to know Chattanooga's opportunities and challenges. And so policy always seemed to be the area where people felt was at the root of why we arrived at where we're at, but never really understood, or there was a lot of opaqueness, um, or there wasn't a lot of clarity about how those policies were created or what we could do to make conditions better for our neighbors. And so that really intrigued me and I decided to pursue a degree in it and then ultimately ended up working on sort of the edges of policy at Lampost Group. And then I was thinking about how do we build a startup community and an emerging entrepreneurial ecosystem in our in our city and realized that too was connected to policy. And from there, really started to lean into urban policy for not just Chattanooga, but for mid-sized cities across the country. And for urban policy, the attraction is it's closest to people in their everyday lives. You can see the impact almost in real time. That's right. So one thing that always struck me about cities was that there wasn't really a Republican or Democratic way to pave a road or to pick up the trash. As, um, as Mayor that, LaGuardia of New York would say. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that that was really exciting is that you could pull together coalitions of people who would never want to be in the same room with each other in any other political context to pursue a common goal. And it became very clear that local policy was the the opportunity for, for Chattanooga, but for other cities to, to really come together and think about how do we bridge the gaps between the two parts of our community, the ones that have experienced a, quite a bit of prosperity and have, and, and have ready access to opportunity and those who have been left behind. Whereas that context and that conversation might be much more difficult to have at a national level. The other thing about mid-sized communities was that this was really a testing bed uh, or a, a small petri dish in which you could try lots of things and see what worked. And you could do it at a relatively low cost. And local elected officials are deeply embedded and they're very close to their community. And so you could hear instant feedback on uh, the kinds of ideas and policies that you were launching. I think a good example of that is we were toying around with the idea of really curbing predatory lending practices. So payday lenders is something I spend a lot of time on at Metro Ideas Project. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But we're, we were really thinking about like, what does it take to curb or reduce the number of payday lenders in a community because they offer a product that ultimately puts people further into poverty. And we came up with a, a wide range of policy solutions. And what I found was that certain cities were more inclined to jump at it because they had bigger problems with payday lending, but they also wanted to tweak them. And so all across the state of Tennessee, Nashville, Chattanooga, Memphis, they all passed payday lending resolutions or ordinances, but they all looked a little different. And I always thought that was fantastic that you could model policies that match their their communities and matched the challenges that those places were facing. But each of them learned different lessons. And that could be lessons for maybe the next city as they were trying to tackle those challenges in the future. So I just thought, whereas in maybe Congress or in the executive branch of federal government, or even at the state level, where so much partisan politics had to be considered and the process was so lengthy to even begin to imagine what that change could look like. At the local level, you could turn things around much quicker and you could build much broader coalitions for that kind of change. And you made a run for office. You had an experience in 
partisan politics. What did you take from that experience and how do you think that that deepened the work that you have done since all under a nonpartisan banner? Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, uh, I always think about it as kind of a crazy decision, but it was one of the most rewarding decisions I've ever made in my life to, I, I ran for state representative in Tennessee's 30th state house district. So that covered East Lake on the farthest Western side of the district. And it moved all the way from East Ridge, uh, Missionary Ridge, East Brainerd, all the way out to Appison, uh, Tennessee. And so, or App, and, and sort of the further end of the county. So it Included parts of the city and parts of the unincorporated bits of the county and, and also some smaller municipalities where I grew up. And one of the things about running for office is that particularly with a, a letter next to your name, I had a D next to my name and I ran as a Democrat, but it was a pretty heavily Republican district. It still is. And one of the things that I was really proud of is that we ran an ideas focused and solutions focused campaign. And uh, I was really proud of our team because we started you know, in January of that year and talked to tens of thousands of people. We knocked on over 25,000 doors. And I think what I learned in that experience was that we are a lot closer together than uh, we are further away. Um, and I know that because I would sit at people's doors when they first question almost every single door was, are you Republican? Or are you Democrat? And that's how the conversation would start, but it's not how it would end. By the end of the conversation, we were talking about the shared concerns and hopes and dreams that we all individually had. And I can tell you, regardless of what party that you claim that you belong to, uh, or the ideology or political preferences that you might hold, we all go to bed at night with the same hopes and, and fears uh, for our community and our families. And I think that was always a really great starting place for a conversation about how we could make Chattanooga and and the region and our state and our country ultimately a place where all of us can get ahead. So if we take away the idea that politics is a zero-sum game where uh, in order for my side to succeed, your side has to lose, or for my family to get ahead, that your family has to, to lose. And not only lose, but lose badly That's and right. humiliated. That's right. And and if, if we could get past that, we could begin building a mutual framework of policy and law and local government or net state government and ultimately a, a community that reflected the, those shared dreams and concerns. And, and we could actually begin to solve problems. It's tough to do. And I should say that I, I know it pretty well because, you know, I, I came up a little short in my uh, election. And so ultimately, uh, Representative Helton ended up winning that election. And I, uh, I'm still friendly with Representative Helton, and she and I talk um, semi-frequently to this day. And, you know, I think one of the things that we committed to in that campaign was that we were going to talk about the issues and be respectful to each other. And, and I think that that was the kind of dialogue that Chattanoogans and, and Hamilton County residents deserve, and actually all Tennesseans deserve whenever they're thinking about politics. But, you know, we also still were uh, hitting marks that had never been seen by a Democrat in that district. We actually, I think, outperformed our gubernatorial candidate. So Carl Dean was running on the same ballot as I was. And I was also running on the same ballot as uh, Phil Bredesen, who was a two-term governor. And uh, I ran just a little bit behind uh, Phil Bredesen, a little bit ahead of Carl Dean. And I think that that demonstrated, you know, a 15-point jump in a Democrat's performance in that district. And I think that was less about party and more about people were hungry for a candidate and uh, a movement that was really focused on meeting their family where they we're at and having real conversations about our community's challenges. So 
I came away changed in a, in a fundamental way, in a good way, and, and more encouraged, not less, about the possibility of, of what politics can do for people. And I think politics is often a four-letter word in a lot of households, but I, I see it as the way that we collectively make decisions about our communities. Um, and there's something really special about that. We're speaking with Joda Tangnapnua, Chief Policy Officer for the City of Chattanooga. And another thing that people are hungry for is transparency. Just circling back to your work with Metro Ideas Project, you gave a talk some years ago, transparency as a continuum. Unpack that a little bit. That's right. You 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 dug deep for that one. So I uh, yeah I had the opportunity to give a talk at Creative Mornings, and it's a fantastic group of uh, community really of, of creatives. And you get a uh, topic assigned to you every month, um, and they pick a speaker on that topic. And transparency was the one that I got, and uh, I kind of ragged on the organizer for picking me. And I was like, really, you're going to pick the guy who works in government policy to talk about transparency? Um, but you know, I did think about the idea of sausage making. And, and how people, when they say that they want transparency, what they're actually talking about is they want trust in the process. They, they want to believe that people are doing the right thing and that their intention is to do their jobs well and, and make the community a better place for everybody. And so what we end up demanding in transparency is actually kind of this very gross look at the creation of everything, even if it doesn't necessarily reflect where the end product will go. And it often biases us against the idea that government or design or public input or engagement can ever work. Because uh, as anybody who's ever tried to make a tough decision knows, the decision-making process is extremely hard and complicated. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it's really messy. Um, and it can lead you down some bad ideas before you get to the good one. And I think that whenever we talk about the value of transparency, and this is something that I'm thinking a lot about at the city, is how do we make sure that we are fulfilling our obligations to our neighbors and residents and being transparent in what we do, but also that we are creating a process where good ideas can flourish and that where we can be intellectually honest with one another about our disagreements. And um, sometimes that means having trust in one another and building that trust, which certainly comes over time. It's not sort of granted automatically, but to really work through difficult problems. And that means creating spaces where we allow people to say the messy thing, um, even if it hasn't been entirely wordsmithed, or to be wrong and to be graceful in that space, so that way we can get to a better result. And and that's really was the focus of that talk. I think it's on YouTube. If if folks want to go take a look at it, I'd, I'd have to do a refresher myself to even think about all of the points I, I made in that. But I think you know where I came away with is that transparency is a good goal, but it's not the end result that we're, we're aiming for. What we really want is a, is a community built on trust and mutual respect where we get good ideas, um, and then we put those ideas into action. Um, and transparency is one of the tools in the toolbox to help us get there. You think about the toolbox all the time in your new role as chief policy officer of the Kelly administration, coming to city government from the Community Foundation. This is a brand new position why is it important and how have you been tackling it in the past six months? So one thing I will say is that I think the city has had a chief policy officer in the past, but I think we have certainly reimagined the way it, it works. Um, and when I think about my job here in this administration, first off, I think about being able to translate uh, Mayor Kelly's vision into the kinds of policies and decisions that 
advance that vision uh, of one Chattanooga that he's laid out. And I really credit Mayor Kelly with defining a real solid direction for our community where we are coming together to build a community that is candid with each other, um, where we are working toward reconciliation with each other, and we are building opportunity for every single Chattanooga where prosperity isn't just possible, but it's plentiful for all of our neighbors. And so when I think about the tough work of building policy and programs and initiatives that help us get there, one, I I think about making sure that we're adopting ideas that are rooted in evidence, that we actually take a a look at the data and allow that data to change our minds. I don't think it's a secret that I have a perspective, but I try not to let my ideology or my partisan baggage or the work that I've done in the past so lock me into what the solution has to be, but rather try to start from a place where I can look at the data and and it leads me down a path and then build policies around what that data is telling us. I also think data is not the only way to uh, understand more about our community, but also really leaning into a process for policy creation that involves the community and doesn't just inform them of what uh, we're going to do. And so listening to people can sometimes make that data more human and give it more color and context and depth. And from our administration, you know, we've got a whole team of policy thinkers, both uh, in the mayor's office and, and departments, who spend every day, one, engaging the community, two, looking at data, and then third, trying to come up with ways to get us closer to the vision that the mayor has laid out. And I think that process is is kind of like creating a, uh, for lack of a better metaphor, creating a, a playlist. Uh, you, you sort of wanted to move through some acts, and uh, I, I created a lot of playlists growing up, and you know you don't want it to peak too soon, and you, you really want to create something that feels complete, but it's made up of individual parts. And so I think that one of the ways that we're we're really thinking about it and struggling and working through some of these policy challenges is that we are really going to be going to the community and sort of asking how should this look and and how does it best fit and tailored to your community. A great example of this is the crisis response team. So we have funded it in our budget where we are allocating dollars to hire 10 social workers and to respond to 911 calls alongside police officers at first, but it's potentially feasible that we could send social workers out by themselves to respond to certain kinds of calls where maybe a police response isn't the most appropriate or effective response to an active emergency. And some emergencies are a mental health crisis. Uh, Some emergencies are things you absolutely need a police officer there for because the situation could go south really fast. But learning uh, what that crisis response team will be doing and how they're engaging residents and and, uh, managing a crisis will be something that we seek community input on. And so we had an idea. Uh, We saw some best practices. We saw the data. We're going to be talking to the community about building it out. And then we're going to try some things. And then we'll go back and fix the things that inevitably will need improving um, and then build off of the success that we see. So I I think that's a perfect encapsulation of how we're seeing the or how I see this role, which is is taking a vision, building some ideas around it, and then moving through an iterative process to actually create really good policy that reflects what the city of Chattanooga both wants to see and also addresses the real challenges that we face as a community. And all along, you have to be responsive to events, events, events. The administration took office days after the runoff during the pandemic. We have had now the Delta variant, a reorganization for the city budget process and on and on and on. What's one lesson learned, you think, from you and others on the team 
looking back at the past six months? Yeah, so <laughs> you're right. I, it, you do have to respond and be responsive. I sort of liken it to like the the job is you're thinking about long term priorities and trying to move the ball down the field on those things, recognizing you have a limited amount of time with the time that the public has given you to do this work. But also. Before you get into that, pull three chance cards from that deck, and they could have anything on them, and you got to respond to those as well as uh, you know try to move that ball down the field. And so those chance cards can really be anything from a, a situation with an employee to you know we're an organization with over 2,500 employees. We're one of the largest employers in the in the region. We could have uh, an active emergency in our community. I remember distinctly looking out the window, and you see uh, I just saw a lot of rain, and then a lot more rain and it just kept going for a while and it turns out it was like a 100 year rain uh, and we had to stop everything that we were doing to make sure that our public works crews had the resources they need and that uh, we were responding to flooding that was happening uh, in our community and at that moment policy was not the first thing on my my mind um, it was making sure that uh, we were working with the team to respond to this challenge in, in our city and I think that one of the lessons I've learned is you've heard the phrase personnel is policy. That's true. Personnel is also competency. And so having smart and dedicated public servants next to you is uh, irreplaceable. I think political leadership is essential. Uh, it gives you the will and, and confidence to go do big things. But those political leaders need um, really smart and thoughtful and responsive people alongside them. And so I have had built a tremendous amount of respect for folks way down the orchard that you never hear about in the news paper who do their jobs every day and they do them very well. A great example of this is recycling. Uh, we had to suspend our recycling because we just ran out of drivers because we didn't have a pay structure that allowed the city to be competitive. And that's something that the Chattanoogans felt in our feeling. And so whenever I think about the key lessons I've learned in, in this uh, job so far, and it's been a short period of time, I'm sure I'll learn more, it's that don't ever underestimate the value that individual employees up and down the org chart, regardless of their title, can bring to the city because over 80% of our budget, our operating budget, are salaries. And I think a lot of people criticize government for being top heavy. But when you realize that 80% of what we do is people and we deliver services, whether they be trash pickup or recycling or firefighters or police officers or the person processing your permits or folks helping you find a job or nurse navigators helping you make a decision about health care in your community, that is what a city does. And you know certainly it's flashier to see the parks being built or the roads being paved, but we are in the business of people and building a community, and we couldn't do it without the, the staff of the city of Chattanooga that are here regardless of which mayor is in place. And so I owe a deep debt of gratitude to them, and, and, and I think that the, uh, the lesson that I've learned is that they're irreplaceable in a lot of ways. All right. Joda, thanks so much. Thank you.